0: Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Over the past six or seven months, we've been watching with uh, some of us with eyebrows raised at the amount of money that's been reported, that's been given to large corporations and, and entities that consult to government. This has been going on for some time. But over the past six months, we've seen parliamentary inquiries, both Senate estimates and new inquiries have been set up looking at specific accountability and integrity of consultants, as well as partnerships um, and similar structures to delve into what these organisations do, how they do it, what their policies are, and all the other little intricate bits that politicians are interested in. my guest on this podcast today uh, has had to delve in, delve in it, and I'm not sure whether his hair's gone grey or not as a result. Angus Grigg is a reporter with Four Corners, and he's got a special on this evening called Secret State, and he joins me to have a bit of a chat about what he's found with government consulting uh, arrangements that exist at the moment. Angus, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on now. And, before we dive into matters of substance, if you had to describe your career on a post-it note to somebody, what would it look like?
1: Oh, yeah, okay, there you go. Well, uh, yeah, I guess elongated. Um, I've, you know, I've managed to survive. Um, you know, almost uh, probably a little over twenty years in journalism. Um, okay. I've been most of my career actually at the Financial Review. Uh, I was the Southeast Asian correspondent for the Fin Review for. A couple of years, I spent six years in China as the North Asia correspondent. Um, I've been in Canberra um, back in the days of the Howard government, the final days of the Howard government. And um, I've been at Four Corners now for about two years. The Four Corners
0: is the current stamping ground for you. what possessed you to go looking at big organisations at the consulted government?
1: Actually, yeah, look, this was a story that I wanted to tell five years ago, actually. And um, I actually uh, met one of the whistleblowers who's in our program tonight. Um, I spoke to them uh, four or five years ago, and they told me this story, which was really interesting, and I was sort of fascinated by, and um, look... The problem was nobody else was interested. It was a niche issue, and it was a sort of issue that was for the accounting pages of the Financial Review, maybe if you were lucky, page 10. It wasn't a, a headline issue. It was very niche, and so I never did anything on it. Um, and uh, this idea of the sort of rise of consultants, the infiltration of consultants, Um just wasn't something that people really cared about. And I guess five years ago, we hadn't seen the full extent of uh, really how much money these consulting firms were making, but also their sort of reach into, you know, the really the heart of government. So, look, I shelled the story and um, never really thought too much about it. Um, but, you know, all things come around and we, um, I guess, just the sheer... Um, weight of news on pwc um, prompted us to think we really need to examine this issue this is actually the biggest issue in government in that affects our democracy at the moment and so um we thought well you know the finn review really owns the pwc story um let's have a look at the other guys so that's basically what we've done we've said you've heard about pwc let's have a look at the other guys are Accenture, KPMG, EY, and Deloitte. And look, to be honest, it wasn't that hard. Um, there is so much around on these guys. Um, so much of their behaviour is questionable over the last five to ten years that really the biggest problem we had is what to put in the program and what do we leave out. Um, over
0: almost thirty years in dealing with the accounting world, in my case, um, both within and outside of it, writing about it and doing a lot of work in that space, Uh, it doesn't surprise me that you had a lot of material that needed to be culled. Um, If we take one element of it and, where possible, not have too many spoilers... That is, what techniques had you come to be aware of that people use? You know, Do people use their their charm, industry expertise as a crowbar to get their way in? What, what are the things that got get people into that position? Look,
1: I guess, I on? guess the thing that that really surprised us was the revolving door just the sheer number of people that, or the sheer movement of people between uh, senior levels of the bureaucracy and the big consulting firms. And then interestingly, coming back the other way as well. And so, yeah, there's constant movement. I mean, you only have to look at, um, you know, the Albanese government said that they're going to take $3 billion out of the consulting spend over the next four years. Um, and they've made a lot of noises about, uh, pushing back against the influence of big consultants, but they appointed three department heads over the last year who have come straight out of the big consulting firms. And so, this is uh, this revolving door. Uh, it it continues to spin, and also it's it's really right through the public service. So uh, that is, I think, connections, uh, personal connections, uh, is the main. Uh, factor that really has allowed consultants to embed themselves. And, And I guess the other thing is that really struck me, and it's a more cerebral point, is that if you are a senior figure in a government department, really your alternative employer is a consultant. And so this is where the sort of moral hazard of it comes into it and that you are you are going to be more predisposed towards consultants. You're going to be nicer to them. You're going to entertain their ideas more because you know that if you fall out of favour with your minister or with those in your department, then really your only option for employment is one of the consulting firms. And that is the real cultural issue that we have uh, that probably needs to change.
0: Your question there comes, we cut to the chase on your observation there. Uh, the question that emerges from that point you've just raised is, um, how do you have a sufficiently robust ethical backbone in the public sector? Now, I don't, I'm not expecting you to give me a definitive answer here, but is that the question we need to explore?
1: I think so. And and in typically in responding to our questions, all the government departments say that we have plans, you know, we're aware of these conflicts of interest. We have uh, and um you know we have robust plans to manage these. Um I think the question is, well, let's see them. Um there's no real evidence that they actually do. And so it's one thing of being aware of the conflict. Uh, The real issue is is how you're going to manage those conflicts. And um, just by saying, um, you know, we we have acknowledged it um, and that we're aware of it doesn't mean that the conflict still doesn't exist and that indeed that conflict is not being exploited. And I think that's the real problem that we have with the consultants and, and the public service.
0: You mentioned an absence of transparency. Somebody says something and they're not able to provide evidence of their assertion, that is, how they manage complex. Were there any, any document presented to you in terms of conflict management internal policies of a department or whatever else? Did you see anything?
1: Oh, look, I'm sure they've got lots of beautifully worded and you know nicely formatted documents uh, around this. but. It, well,
0: you mean 11 point hell where'd you go with me? yes
1: yes exactly and um but look some of the things that I guess are more they're harder to to really um you know put a policy in place against this and so one of the examples we go into the program tonight is um kpmg and defense and so through our research and you know basically through mining LinkedIn and social media we're able to find that um KPMG has hired 100 former defence staff uh, over the last five years to work in its government consulting practice. Now, those people are typically subject to, um, well, firstly, we should say that's a very large number. That is a lot of people that have gone from defence into KPMG who will then be providing services back into defence. Um, That is a really significant amount. Um, And it's no surprise that that is one of the main tactics, if you like, that KPMG employ. And, and, you know, bear in mind on our numbers, KPMG has made $1.3 billion over defence in the last five years. I think it's defence billings peaked at more than $400 million annually Uh, in 2021, 22, I think. And so um, there is a very significant business there built on the back of hiring former defence people or certainly aided by hiring former defence people. And um, we also have in our possession an email which um, clearly shows that um, while these former KPMG people have you know these so-called 12 month cooling off periods um we have an email here from one of the partners and I'm actually I'll read it here for you um I won't mention the person's name it's it's in the program tonight but um it it talks about uh in one in one reference that um, this person has a further 6 months before they are allowed to work directly with defense and then it says in the next sentence um but don't worry about that Because this person continues to meet defence people on the side, building new relationships and maintaining old relationships. So this is what I'm talking about. It's this idea of they have a policy in place. It is a 12-month cooling-off period. And no one's suggesting that this person's actually broken that 12-month cooling-off period. But simply by having meeting people for coffee, running into people on the sidelines of sport or around town. And, you know, remember Canberra is a pretty small place. This is how business is done. This is how uh, relationships are maintained and managed. And, you know, you can have the best policies in the world. It doesn't um, mean that you uh, can, you know, stop this informal contact and this sort of informal contact making
0: how much of a um i should preface this by saying i'm a technical nerd um of an accounting nature how much of a role in your reportage does it look at ethics play because there is an ethical standard in the accounting profession that specifies a whole bunch of threats to you know key principles like objectivity integrity confidentiality professional behavior etc and the whole notion of meeting up with old friends and colleagues and whatever else becomes a, a Something that aligns with what they call threat to threat to fundamental principles being a familiarity threat, mm. um, and that is, you know, old contacts and others, yeah, you know, making it difficult for people to think independently. Is there any evidence in what you've done that the issue of conflicts with ethical principles? Um, was raised at all.
1: Well, I think the, and you'd be very familiar with it, the Brendan Lyon case with KPMG um yeah. is a very sort of striking example of how um you know lip service is really paid to professional ethics. And I mean that was a startling case. Um, you know, to boil it down for your listeners, um, you know, Brendan Lyon was asked to sign off on basically what was a $10 billion accounting fudge for the New South Wales government, he refused to do that. And so uh, KPMG, he refused to do that under great pressure from the New South Wales Treasury Secretary and others uh, in that department. And as a result, um, KPMG just turned around and commissioned a conflicting report that said what the government wanted to hear. Now, I mean, what does that tell you? about adherence to uh, ethical principles and ethical standards. And, and, you know, Brendan himself says, and this is very well documented, that, you know, everyone involved in that saga, there's been no consequences for them at KPMG. There's been some embarrassment and a bit of unwanted publicity. But in terms of actual professional sanctions for their behaviour, there's been nothing, absolutely nothing.
0: It's an interesting report from the ANAO on the Tahi, yes. Tahi saga, uh, the Transport Asset Holdings Entity Saga, mm. TAHE for those listening to the podcast. Yes, Tahi. It's, it's, a, it's a term you never want to know. <laughs> uh it, Tahi, it sounds like something exotic. Trust me, it's not. Um, and you don't get it in a drinks cabinet in a hotel. But there we yes. are.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um
0: what are the lessons that you and then we that you think uh, will emerge from your report particularly uh, is there anything that you think we uh, that policy makers need to reflect on
1: I think there needs to be a greater scrutiny of the consultants to start with I think um they within the departments and a couple of the whistleblowers we've spoken to the things that they've consistently said to us is that invoices bills work uh was never challenged so you know one of our whistleblowers says that kpmg did work for the department of defense that simply wasn't needed um that he was asked to bill the department of defense for work that was never done he was to bill for internal projects. Um, We have a second whistleblower who talks about how um, the Department of Defence sought to, um, or sorry, KPMG sought to overcharge the Department of Defence by a million dollars in a seven month period on a single proposal. And it was only that this person actually went back and looked at these invoices and found that, you know, they had billed for work that was never done. They billed for a consultant who wasn't even on the project they had billed for work that was covered under previous uh uh proposals and contracts and this person said that um there was an sort of an overly cozy relationship between the department of defense and KPMG and that new work was commissioned uh without really considering how it uh uh Fitted into the overall sort of work pattern, and that you know there was very little questioning and and th- having thorough looks at at invoices and things, and so you know that is a really serious allegation, and and we've got two whistleblowers that have have said this. So, I mean, I think the first thing that needs to happen is a you know an a, an audit of all the um contractors or consultants work for the federal government i mean that is um if this is two people have told us very similar stories from different time periods within the same organisation um now defence and kpmg both say that um that they investigated them and maybe there was a few problems here and there but the clients weren't really affected so these allegations have not been properly investigated and if we've uncovered this, I would suggest that there is far more um, where these allegations have come from. So around overcharging, charging for work never completed, um, you know, <laughs> bidding, putting in new proposals for work already covered by old proposals, things like this. So, and, and I just don't think there's been enough sort of care and attention paid to the actual money these guys have taken from the Commonwealth, so that's that's really the big lesson that needs to come out of this is a thorough review of all the consulting spend. You know, pick a time for you two, five, ten years, whatever you like, and then ask. Well, um, I mean, because one of the most damning things that the whistleblower, one of the whistleblowers, told us is that every invoice they checked that KPMG had given to Defence was wrong, and that. Defence were consistently overcharged by KPMG. And now this person says that Defence basically shrugged it off. They, Despite her providing lots of evidence of this, just really wasn't um, investigated, wasn't really taken seriously. Um,
0: On that point, uh, do you think that the reason some of that the absence of curiosity there's also the fact it's playing with other people's money.
1: There's a bit of that, yes, absolutely. There's definitely a sense of... Um,
0: Not my problem. Yeah,
1: and and also people don't like to rock the boat, right? And An absence of curiosity um, absolutely sums it up. But also people, you know, they don't really want to make waves and also... Maybe you don't want to annoy KPMG too much because you might need them in the future, right?
0: I'm talking to Angus Craig, uh, reporter with Four Corners, about the program Secret State. Now, we'd, if people miss it when it airs at eight thirty, where can they see it again?
1: Yes, well, we're actually uh, we're going to do something different this week. We're actually going to put the program up on Sunday night on iview and on youtube and uh then it'll replay um it'll obviously air on the main channel at 8 30 on monday night but also it will um it'll be repeated uh through the week but you can always catch it on iview or youtube
0: angus looking forward to seeing the program in full thank you for joining me for the potty
1: oh thank you for having me